He's out of his mind. He's playing over his head. He's unconscious. He doesn't know what he's doing. The common factor in each of these descriptions is that some part of the mind is not so active. Athletes in most sports use similar phrases, and the best of them know that their peak performance never comes when they're thinking about it. Nat, welcome back to Made You Think. I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> Get this ball rolling. Yeah. So we're uh, today we're covering a book called The Inner Game of Tennis by Timothy Galloway. And uh, this book was recommended to me by Eric Walsh, who's a listener of this podcast. Thank uh, you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. And uh, I know you've been telling me about this book for months, and <laughs> <laughs> I finally decided to read it. And one, I didn't realize how short it was. So you can tell I didn't buy it until like very recently as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> this isn't like go to Lesher Bach where we're no, this reading like for four or five weeks and we're like, can we uh, can we sub a different book in yeah, this week? Do an Elon Musk article. Yeah, like, exactly. And <laughs> we're sort of in this like mutually tacit agreement yeah. <laughs> to keep pushing it back. <laughs> because it took so long to finish. Oh my that gosh, book. that was a long. I mean, it's a great book. It yeah, just fantastic. Took, like, more than a month of actively reading it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Episode 12. But yeah, so this book is maybe not even 150 pages. Like It's like something like that. Yeah, I think it's like 150, 200. You yeah. can get through it in a couple you can days. Get, and it's very easy to read. It's, um, basically, if you don't play tennis, you can actually skip over yeah, a decent fifth of it. Yeah, that are like stroke, I guess, like diagnoses yeah. um, in there. But anyway, this book is basically not about tennis. Um, it, 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 it uses tennis as a medium, I would say, to talk about a lot deep like much deeper concepts. Yeah, kind of like Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Yeah, right? exactly. It's not really about fixing a motorcycle. Right, yeah. exactly, which is what I thought for the longest time. It took me a long time to just <laughs> like, There's a lot of people but who love, love motorcycle maintenance. Yeah, just <laughs> exactly. I was like, that doesn't sound so interesting <laughs> to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, kind of the best clue for that, and I bet this is why the publisher did it, is in this new edition of it, they had Pete Carroll write the forward, who's the coach of the Seattle Seahawks Okay, for football. So I think that like sort of right away pops that like, oh, this is probably not just a tennis book. I mean, so I, I used to be a tennis player in growing up and in college and stuff. So the tennis part for me wasn't so much of a problem, but it made me think the book was very like tennis related, which is why I kept pushing it off. Yeah. Well, that was my reaction when you suggested we read it. It was my first thing was like, well, I don't really play tennis anymore. Right. right? I, so you're like, I'm not uh, sure I want to read this. And then two, you know, why will the listeners of this show be care. interested in a book yeah. about tennis? Exactly. But it's very much not a book about tennis. Yeah, exactly. It's a book about peak performance. Peak performance and really like getting into flow in a way. But what I really like about it, and then we're going to come back to this, is the kind of like how in Way of Zen, we talked about the paradox of sort of like Indian Buddhism, which is, you know, that striving for non-striving, right? And a big part of uh, the whole inner game of tennis is this idea of like trying to get into flow is paradoxical, right? right? Because yeah, as that's you- where, That's where we'll, we'll talk about self one and self two, but yeah. that's where like your sort of thinking brain makes a reappearance is when it's like, oh, well, I'm trying to get us into- Oh like, uh, yeah, I got in. Yeah. And it's like, ah, oh, fuck, it's gone. Right? Immediately, yes. <laughs> so it's a really cool way of approaching that whole idea of you know getting into that creative productive high output workflow in a way pretty different from what you'll see on you know life hacker and, and even from some of uh what's his name the guy who did uh rise of superman i've heard of the book steve collar okay yeah so a lot of steve collar's work is very like tactical how to get into flow and it's effective but it's sort of a, a very different approach to looking Let's into getting into that state from this so, yeah no i i really enjoyed it despite not getting a ton from the the tennis references right of course the other book it really reminded me of was finite and infinite games exactly yeah because he again uses tennis as the medium but it's not really about each particular tennis match mm-hmm. Or even your career or anything like that. It's more about like 
the approach to the game. Yeah, well, it's got... There's a few lines in here that felt like they were lifted straight out of Finite and Infinite Games. I think we were talking about this before, where it really feels like a combination of Finite and Infinite Games and Way of Zen with tennis thrown in as the medium, right? It's like, if you took those two books... And then added some tennis. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, or you, you just, or you just read those two books and then wanted to write something using your own experience as the medium, medium for, it. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is the line I was looking for from the intro. Every game is composed of two parts, an outer game and an inner <laughs> game, right? It's like there are two kinds of games. There are two kinds of games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, actually, funny enough, over the weekend, I was, uh, so I was at, I think I was at the gym when I saw this. But anyway, I saw there was uh, the coach for the University of Wisconsin's football team was being interviewed because this team he is. So before the game they played on Saturday, uh, it was the best start in team history, which was so 10 and 0. And before the game, right, and it was against another uh, pretty good team, Michigan. So it was like, you know, big game, right? And they were asking the coach, like, you know, what do you think? Like, are you guys prepared? Like, how do you avoid a letdown in this game and stuff? And the way he's answering the questions, I was like, oh, he's probably read this book or something similar because the way he was responding was like, oh, like, you know, uh, me and the players, like, we're just kind of trying to enjoy the journey. And, you know, it was not really like about winning that game. Mm. He was like, oh, we're here. You know, we're like trying to work. We've been working on some things in practice. Like it was it was not like we're going to go out there and destroy them kind of like mentality. Um, I just got the sense. I was like, oh, he's probably read either this or something similar. Oh, definitely. Uh, I feel like it's got to be pretty standard reading. Yeah. I bet Phil Jackson has Phil Jackson from the the Lakers and Bulls and want to say he was on the Knicks recently, but I don't know if he is anymore. I thought I saw he got fired. <laughs> it it, hey, it's a good thing that you have me here to be the sports naive person so that you, <laughs> you have can't to call explain out all on this. stuff. <laughs> no, but yeah, so but Phil Jackson is like his nickname is like the Zen Master. Oh, uh, okay. Because um, he would always respond to like questions with things like that as well. But he's also won like 11 championships. So he's it's worked out pretty well for him. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a it's actually a really good BuzzFeed article of all things. I was going to say, when you said that, I was like, is being sarcastic? I'm just not picking up on it. Or like. Every every now and then there are good things posted there. But it's an article called The Inner Game of Everything. Why is a four-decade-old tennis book still a self-help sensation? Oh, wow. And it's all about how it's had this huge impact on all these other sports as well. And so I think the article talks particularly about like the USC but even Al Gore gave it to all of his staffers oh, wow, during really? the campaign to like help them focus on the most important stuff. Well, uh, it's like it's such a paradox. It's like if you do focus so much on winning, you're not going to win, right? And it's kind of like he talks about, he doesn't really, well, he does talk about that too, but he even talks about it like if you're hitting a serve and trying to hit it hard, you won't hit it hard. You'll hit it hard, right? Yeah, it's like such a paradox. Yeah. <laughs> so It's kind of like too, if you were like for marketing, if you were trying to build an audience and you were like very overtly trying to build an audience or trying to make a sale or whatever it is and you, yeah. you just come off as desperate oh yeah it's just not gonna work or it's like so obvious that you're sort of trying to do these things without totally understanding yes. like why yeah like what you're actually doing right it's like you see that with people doing kind of like any kind of marketing in the beginning it's like oh you know like we need to put up like a facebook page and like post to it 10 times a day it's yeah. like well like one you're not posting anything valuable and two like, you have no audience right so it's like <laughs> why are you wasting time on this but no. it's when it's you're just sort of like following the the checklist or whatever yeah. and like doing it without totally understanding the deeper the level deeper part of it yeah yeah, no, I feel like this applies to so many things. I didn't know about the Al Gore thing, actually. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, the Al Gore one is cool. Uh, apparently an acting coach. 
here, who worked with Nicole Kidman and Juliette Binoche, called it an essential guide for actors. Hmm. The publisher <laughs> okay. really screwed up the name. Yeah, they. The book, I think. Like, <laughs> well, to be fair, they had no it idea. It worked out. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think in the intro, Galway said something like, "My publisher told me this would maybe sell twenty thousand copies, right. yeah. and then it has sold like millions." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I guess it worked out well for both of them. But. Oh yeah, there, there was even a paper titled "The Components of Optimal Sexuality: A Portrait of Great Sex." It came out in like a Canadian. That had this. Yeah, that cited uh, Inner Game of Tennis as. Uh, the inner guide as a guide to, or the inner game as a guide to improved bedroom performance. Hmm, I can see that yeah. though. It's yeah. like getting out of your head. Yeah, getting, I can like, definitely see that. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense. So, literally applies to everything. If you want to get better at tennis or politics or sex, you should read this book or marketing or, or marketing. Whatever. Or, yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> I suppose we should probably like talk about what's Actually, in the book. Huh? Get to the yeah. book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, he kind of gets started by just. Like it's a pretty common thing, I think, in most sports. So this common complaint, and I'm going to quote from the book, he says um, that he gets from his students. So he says, it's not that I don't know what to do. It's that I don't do what I know. And I feel like that's true, not just for sports. That's true for like so many things. But I know for tennis, like when I was like keeping it on tennis for a second. So when I was growing up, my weakest shot was always my backhand. And I'd always work on my backhand. I knew exactly what I needed to be doing, but I just never did it. Yeah. It's like, so it's not really a matter of like knowledge. It's not that you don't know what you need to be doing. And I think it's the same with like business or like productivity or yeah. like there's so many things where it's like, we do know what we should be doing. Fitness, well, that, nutrition. Yeah, that was like, the example I was going to give is yeah. that it's just so obvious that information is not enough. Yeah. Right. Like if you go to any hospital, you will see doctors outside smoking, right? Like they know they shouldn't be doing that. Like pretty obviously, yeah. right? Or uh, Derek Sivers has this great line that like if information were enough, we'd all be billionaires with perfect abs, right? Because there's, there's like all this information <laughs> online yeah, and it's never enough for right. you to take action. There has to be like something beyond that. Exactly. Yeah. And so you know, like kind of his response to that is that most of the time there's like this inner dialogue going on where you have, there's almost like a person in your brain who's like telling you what you should be doing and then what you're actually doing. And those things often don't match up. Right. It's like you're trying to control your actions in pursuit of this like ideal that you think you should be doing, but you're right. doing it like very consciously. Like, right. no, I need to kind of like beating yourself into doing these things. Right. Yeah. I'm sure we've all seen this with like habit formation too. Right. Oh yeah. And it, sure. He talks about habit formation a lot, like yeah. in and outside of tennis. Right. It's like, we all want to stop eating this bad food or, you know, like wake up early or whatnot. And we're like, no, I like, I have to do it. I have to do it. Like, this is what I need to do. And then it just like never seems to work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it's fully in your control. Completely in your control. Yeah. Like, but it's just like it's pretty hard to control that right. like underlying part of our body, yeah. which is a very strange thing to say. Tangent number one. Yeah. Then who is in control? Dude, it's not nope. you. Like who is like what's controlling your actions? It, well, it is you. It's it is not, you. It's, it's just, just not you that's like available it's not to the consciousness. consciousness part. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why I kind of like the concept of like consciousness as sort of an emergent, like self-preservation thing. Right. And we've talked about this before about like post hoc rationalization and uh, like when you decide to do things. Right. And I think uh, one of the conclusions that we came is that like the conscious mind is mostly there as like a social mechanism. Right. Because you're always, you know, like deep down the like animal level wants to like steal food and like kill people and just like take things and all of that and then yeah. you have to have like a little conscious layer to be like all right let's, let's like hold off on that, that right yeah uh, or like at least wait until nobody's looking right? like, <laughs> depending on how well formed it is <laughs> 
but so it's never it's never the driver it can only like be a little tweaker right a little modifier right this is like if you i think it's in the republic like uh plato's work he okay. talks about like the mind is a three-part system and you've got like two horses he th- talks about the mind as a chariot you've got like two horses pulling the chariot which are desire and passion right so it's like what things you want oh, yeah, and how badly you want them and then the chariot driver is reason but restrain so he can restrain he can guide them but he can't make the chariot go on his own right, right? there have to be these underlying motives like pulling that it in one. some direction he can only right so even it. if he says like oh it'd be smart if we went over there yeah like, it's like well if the desire and passion aren't pointed in that direction themselves right you can only do so much right. or uh chip and dan heath have a book called switch and in the book they talk about your mind as like an elephant and its rider so the conscious mind is the rider on top of the elephant but he can only do so much if the elephant really wants to go in another very, direction and he's very small compared to the elephant. yeah exactly elephant. He's <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like you know you can slowly guide the elephant in a certain direction but if you just want to like have it stop and turn around it's probably, probably not gonna work yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, That's actually a good analogy. I'm gonna say with your well-formed thing, you like depending on how well-formed your conscious brain is. Yeah, I saw this video over the weekend okay. on Twitter. And I doubt I'll be able to find it again, but if I can, we'll put it in the show notes. It was somebody literally walking through the window of the McDonald's drive-through. <laughs> taking a box of the patties like i don't know where the person who's working at the counter was but it was like the surveillance video <laughs> so they climbed in through they the window in, and there's somebody still in the car because they were like the getaway the car boxes to somebody who was like taking them and then she just climbed out and she was done she took like a box of fries a box of like a like a physical like crate kind of box looking thing of patties oh my god and then she filled up a drink for herself <laughs> And then climb back out the window. So when you were saying, depending on if like no one's looking or whatever, that yeah, came yeah. into my head. I was like, oh, maybe the person who like worked at the counter took like a bathroom break. Exactly. And she was like, okay, I'm gonna. <laughs> yep. They're they're probably sitting in their car, not getting served. Yeah. Right. Like, where is my burger? <laughs> it's like, all right, screw it. I'm taking all yeah. the burgers. <laughs> <laughs> it was so brazen too yeah because the thing is if you work there like do you get paid enough to like kick that person out oh, like, no way you don't get paid enough to kick like, the person you, out you'll just be like okay sure like, I, I can imagine it's like the person comes out of the bathroom they see somebody with a box full of patties like a half-eaten burger in their mouth and just like have this moment of eye contact and the person who works there is just like whatever yeah, exactly. <laughs> i don't want to deal with this insurance will cover it just go exactly <laughs> would you like fries with that yeah. <laughs> that would be that'd be even better then that person deserves a tip yeah exactly <laughs> of three burgers <laughs> you accept payment and frozen yeah. patties who likes mcdonald's so much they want a whole box exactly. of patties it's the kind of thing where you, you have it once and then you hate yourself for a month you're like, gonna like go home and cook them now or like yeah you've made a choice to invest <laughs> Uh, anyway, it's like you know, some people eat it every day, right? Like Warren yeah. Buffett. Warren Buffett eats it yeah, every day. Every morning. How old is he now? He's pretty old. He's in his eighties. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, exactly. He's the, write a book about that. the exception that kind of proves yeah. the rule, right? It's you like, write a book about that. Because yeah, that's all you need to write a book, right? The McDonald's diet. The McDonald's exactly. diet. Exactly. You got eighty years know, of narrative fallacy about. built. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, eating McDonald's every day leads to becoming the richest man in the world. Duh. Obviously, like, of yeah. course. <laughs> Thought we should have done this at McDonald's. <laughs> Sponsored by. Sponsored McDonald's. by. <laughs> We're now on Uber Eats. 
and now Uber that's, Eats as well. All right, that, that those was, are not real. Those, ads, are, those are for free. Yeah. These are all auditions for. <laughs> Please uh, contact our media team if you'd like to buy real ads. <laughs> anyway, all right. So yeah, then from where we were talking before of this mental dialogue that's going on, he says, in contrast, you'll have players who like, quote, play out of their mind, which is, I never really thought about it until you kept calling it out in this book. But like, that is the way people talk about it all the time. In tennis, they use this one thing that maybe doesn't relate as much, but people would say like, oh, he treed today, like like a tree. I have no idea why Where's that come from. I don't know, but it was just like common. It was like slang for like playing out of your mind. Like people would still say playing out of your mind. Okay. But they would also use like tree simultaneously like uh, interchangeably i'm not sure where yeah, that comes really from curious, but well, yeah, anyway it's, it's interesting because like the the whole out of your mind thing is also kind of like being in the zone right and those are now that i've read this book those seem like two really different ways of describing it, it. Yeah. and out of out of their out mind, of mind is makes, better it makes a ton of sense it makes much more it means sense you're not consciously like thinking about anything yeah but in the, in the zone, zone feels like something you can put yourself in. Exactly. It yeah. implies you have control, right? Which is kind of what you want to go against yeah. based on the philosophy in this book. So do you think in the zone, out of your mind and flow are all basically the same thing? I think so. I yeah. think so too. Yeah. yeah. It's It seems like different ways to describe the same phenomenon, yeah. right? Of like really high level, seemingly effortless performance. Yeah. I mean, and then so like one thing he gets into is like he makes the point of like, obviously, the player is not out of their mind. Like they're not unconscious. Right, right. <laughs> like they're clearly still like there, but they're not really trying hard. Yeah, they're not trying they're not to like, play well. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's just sort of happening. And, you know, he dives much deeper into like what that is. I, I like this uh, bit here where he says that if you're playing against someone yeah, who seems to be sure. like totally out of yeah. their, you know, playing out of their mind, like, you know, doing incredibly well. He says, uh, the next time your opponent is having a hot streak, simply ask him as you switch courts, say, George, what are you doing so differently that's making your forehand so good today? Not going to lie, I've done that before. <laughs> <laughs> as soon there's as you a do book, that. There's a book that uh, we definitely won't cover on the podcast because it's okay. so tennis specific, but it's called Winning ugly by this guy named brad gilbert who uh got as high as number four in the world and he looks like a guy who'd just be playing at your like normal high school courts huh like he's not a good player but basically he just used all like a ton of mental warfare basically on his opponents so That's like, great. just tons of stuff basically he's just like figure out what gets under their skin and he was in the 80s so like he was playing like boris becker time and like all that and boris becker was his like favorite player to play against because he was like known to be like a hothead so he'd just like get him pissed off. It was whatever he could do to piss him off, whether that was like tying his shoes a few times per match at like <laughs> the most inopportune times, whether that was like, I don't know, taking like a bathroom break or like, <laughs> just like he basically exploited like every loophole of the rules. Just completely get people so, like, on tilt. To get them off out of their zone basically, yeah. right? And like make, because like tennis players as, long, as well as like most athletes are like way too superstitious. Yeah. And it, like when something goes slightly off, they just feel like things are going to go wrong. Yeah. So like he would notice, okay, well, Boris Becker likes to serve first every time in a match. And most people, you know, or sorry, he would, I think it was the opposite. I think he liked to receive first during every match for whatever reason. I think it was like a superstition because conventional wisdom would say to serve first. So every time he'd give him, like, if Brad Gilbert would get the choice to serve first or receive first, he would make Boris Becker serve first <laughs> just to throw him off. <laughs> just to, like, That's mess great. him up. Anything that you could, like, slightly mess him up on, yeah. he'd mess up. Have you read uh, uh, The Art of Learning by Josh Whiteskin? Yeah, I have. Yep. Yeah, so he's got a whole section on that kind of stuff yeah. in there where he would, like, go to these chess championships. Yep. And especially the Russian players would just, like, play really dirty and <laughs> oh, mess with them. Yeah. yeah. Yep. They would do stuff like they, like, tap their chess yeah. pieces against the side of the table to make him, like, feel like he has to go faster. Yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> or they would like get up in the middle of the game and like talk to their coach in loud Russian, <laughs> which is like so against the rules, but like nobody could say what they were talking they were about because yeah. it was in Russian. Right. And so eventually he was, he just like had to train himself to play in like really inconvenient, shitty circumstances right. to like not be bothered by it. So that he wouldn't get thrown off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And actually like one of the things he prescribes in the book for that is doing high intensity interval training with a heart rate monitor oh, and seeing how quickly you can train yourself to recover your calm that state makes a lot of sense. through like yeah. deep breathing. Yeah. All right. So you basically do like holotropic style breathing to recover your heart rate as fast as possible after getting it up above I think he says like 150 on a bike or an erg or something. And then you basically try to slow it down. Yeah. And he says that sort of if you can do that, then eventually, you know, even in the most stressful situation, you can immediately like recover your calmness. Because he also did like Tai Chi push hands, yeah, right? Tai Chi right, push hands, right? right? Like competitive yeah. martial arts and jiu-jitsu. I saw someone do that in the park the other day, yesterday. Nice. And uh, like, yeah, they, they were actually doing the fighting or they were no, doing like old person Tai Chi? No, there was like an instructor. I didn't, I didn't stay and watch. Okay. But they were definitely doing Tai Chi. Nice. It's like an instructor and like three people, basically. But I'm not sure what exactly. Well, well to they be were doing. to be clear, there's Tai Chi, which is like the super slow, calm. Okay, and one push hands that, like, is the fighting one. Push hands is the fighting one. Yeah, where you're you're basically like on. I think you're like on these little pedestals, and you're trying to push the other person off of it. Oh, they were not on pedestals. Okay, so yeah. it was definitely the old people. So it's like style a one. balance. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of cool. We should throw a link up in the show notes. Yeah, to see but, yeah, I, I need to push hands is the one where if you fall off the platform, you lose. Yeah, you lose right? exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, so it's like, like both. Like really quick matches. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that was basically his thing is it's like if you learn how to use your breathing to control your mental and physical state, you can immediately like recover from any stressful situation. Interesting, because then you know you're getting worked up basically. And I think he's famous too. And also you can work yourself up with it. So I think he would like go to jujitsu matches and he would like take a nap in between rounds. Because he could just calm down and bring it back up so quickly mm. that it was just like, like such no a issue. control. Like yeah. That. yeah, that's really interesting. Pretty neat. But yeah, this whole like ask your opponent what's working <laughs> said. Actually, that was suggested in Winning Ugly. Not in the context of like all this Zen type mm. of stuff of like getting people out of their head, but like that was one thing he suggested, like throw them off. Yeah. Be, like give them compliments. Uh, I think yeah. he called that chapter was like kill them with kindness or something. <laughs> was like it's like, wow, you're playing really well today. Yeah. What are you doing differently? <laughs> yeah. Right. Because then they're thinking about it and they're like, ah, yeah. oh, it must be, you know, this way that I'm serving. Right. Well, <laughs> and like I've had that experience too. Oh, yeah. Right? Exactly. I mean, with everything you have that too. Or it's yeah. also like you end up I want to say this is in the book, but if it's not, maybe I'm playing it from somewhere else, but it's like you end up trying to play the role that people assign to you. So it's like if someone tells you like, oh, well, you always have such a good serve, right. then you're going to be thinking like if you mess up on a serve, you're going to be like, well, I normally have such a good serve and what's exactly. going on what's with it? What's going wrong? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like another way to throw people <laughs> off. <laughs> but yeah, so from there he goes to what I think, in my opinion, is sort of the central point of the book, which is yeah. the discovery of the two selves. So he distinguishes them with the not so creative titles of self one and self two. <laughs> but the way I got that, uh, I separate them out as like self one is basically the sort of teller, like the conscious mind that's telling you what to do or trying to tell you what to do and has a dialogue. And then self two is the sort of innate, like instinctive self that does. So is that kind of the same way you got it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the same way I got it. And it's very similar to how Kahneman and Tversky described the sort of two minds, right? So if you read like the original research or you read Thinking Fast and Slow, uh, I don't know if they call it self one and self two. I think they have a different terminology. 
system one and system two, right? But it's pretty much the same thing. Kind of the same thing, yeah. Uh, because it's like, you know, your system one is, you know, like sort of what you're doing rationally and your system two is sort of like what's happening automatically. And system one is like the newer evolutionary level and system two is, you know, more like the limbic system, you know, yeah. much older and responds way more like emotionally. And that's where a lot of the biases and heuristics and things come in, yeah. right? I mean, it reminded me of a lot from Way of Zen also where uh, I think Alan Watts was talking about like, this idea that so there's conventional knowledge, then there's like, well, I don't figure out the second term. Oh, yeah. Conventional knowledge was basically stuff that self one would understand things that you could like talk about in words and language and write down and all that kind of stuff. And then the other kind of knowledge that I'm blanking on what yeah. it was called. Sort of like innate, whatever yeah, knowledge. Yeah, it was like, and then his it's distinction. Like how do you was, breathe? Exactly, right. right. You just, or how do you move your arm? Yeah, how do you move your arm? Like, I don't know how you move your arm. You move your arm. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it reminded me a lot of that. Yeah, and this whole idea of like, a lot of the issues come from when we don't trust self to and when we try to exert control over self to and this yeah. is a very hard thing i think for anyone to get comfortable with this idea that you know the like, most of your actions are not really in like conscious control yeah. <laughs> and that they can sometimes be better if you leave them out it's of conscious control it's a little bit scary and maybe this is getting too deep but it's like i think it's because our sense of self is yeah. in self one you know what i mean so you almost don't view self two as like the same entity yeah. So it's almost like he and brings this up later where he's like, it's kind of like you're trusting someone else to do a job. Right. I have a lot of similar difficulties as I do with like delegating things to self too, as I do with delegating things to other people. It's like, you're not sure if they're going to do it right. Not sure if they're going to do it right. Even if you wouldn't do it right. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> well, and, and that's the other thing he brings up later too, is that also if self two like succeeds at something is not as satisfying as if self one does. Well, it, it is in right? its own. It is for like its own joy of like doing the activity. Like you know when you're like really in the zone with. Sorry, in the zone when you're playing when you're out of out your mind, mind with something. Yeah. It is satisfying in its own way, but it's not the same like ego satisfaction. Yeah, yeah that's that's. Like, it's not like I did that. It's not like I did it. It's like it happened. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It happened right, and there's a big difference right. with how that feels. Yeah, or I think like, you're right though. Like yeah, there is a distinction between that. Yeah, it'll happen, and then you'll be like, oh, like I can do that, and yeah. then you try to do it, and then you can't you do can't it do anymore. It. Yeah. Right? It's like I'm sure everyone's had that experience with like learning a skill. Yeah, right. Where like, it'll just suddenly like magically work, and you have no idea how that happened. That happened. Right? Yeah. Uh, if you like, I found learning French in France too. That would just keep happening with the language, where I would just like say something and, you're like, and understand it. I'd be like, where did that come from? <laughs> right? Which is like a weird kind of experience, but I guess. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, like, that's how you learn language the first time. I feel like it's how you learn. Like, yeah, that's true. That's, But I feel like it's how you learn almost anything. Just okay. like an emergent thing from experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And which is straight up the opposite of how we're taught in like uh, school yeah. and college. Like you have to like, understand, articulate it, yeah. and then go apply it. It's like, no, 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 no. Well, it's sort of like teaching birds how to fly. Yeah, right? it is. It's <laughs> like the... We have to we have to reference have to anti-fragile at least once every episode. <laughs> We're not just doing this to link back to the anti-fragile episode. No, on definitely every, not. Maybe that's why it's the most popular one still. Probably because we reference it in every episode. Yeah, so it's like yeah. linked on every single one. So no matter which one you discover us on, you end up on the anti-fragile. <laughs> exactly. At some point, it's sort of like uh, what is it like Wikipedia with the philosophy <laughs> page, right? Like if you click on the first link on every Wikipedia page, <laughs> you eventually end up back at philosophy. <laughs> it's like us the anti-fragile. It's a strange loop. It's a strange loop. Yeah. <laughs> now we have to go back. I can edit the anti-fragile episode to reference every future episode oh. oh okay what would be even crazier is if it was already referenced oh then it would be a true be, strange that would really be crazy <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> on. but yeah i think this idea of trust is like 
very difficult. At least it is for me. I mean, yeah. And there was, um, I think one of the examples he was giving made me think of so when I was selling at Mom Trusted, mm-hmm. like my average, it was a lot of it was like calls, right? Like, so closing over the phone, like, because our price point wasn't high enough to justify in person unless it was some of the enterprise accounts. So most of them were like smaller, medium sized businesses. So they were done over phone calls. Usually I'd get like two to five closes on a normal day, um, which is like all right. Then there was like one day that I got 24 nice. in one day. <laughs> and like, I don't have much memory of that day besides the fact that we had a board basically. So on the board, it had 24 next to my name. Yeah. And I was just like, what the fuck happened? What happened? Day? Yeah. <laughs> like, it was like every conversation I had was like going well. And yeah. Like, part of it is probably luck. Like I just happened to get people on the right day at the right time or whatever. I also know that I literally had come to California. So I had done like, the, you know, the early wake up on the East Coast. Uh, fly yeah, over yeah, and then go to the office day. and work for the whole day. So I was probably slightly ti- more tired than normal, which maybe eased up like my self one mm-hmm. and made it maybe that self one was asleep that day. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> but I do remember the like few memories I have of that day where like there were things coming out of my mouth that I'm like, oh, I didn't know I could word it that way. And it like mm-hmm. came out very smoothly. And like, I wasn't thinking about what to say. You know, I've been realizing that kind of with some of this podcasting stuff too, yeah. because I did an interview a while ago on NatChat with another guy who ran a podcast. And at the end, I asked him, is that up yet? Yeah, yeah, it's up. It's with uh, Thomas Frank, the guy who does College Info Geek. And we talked afterwards because he's been doing it for way longer. And I was sort of like, you know, what was the biggest thing for you that really improved like your episodes? And for him, he said it was stopping planning interview questions. Oh, like just see where the conversation goes. Yeah. So he said that he'll like read up on the person and like come up with, you know, topics and things they could talk about. But then he just doesn't have a script or a list of topics or anything for the interviews and just kind of goes naturally where like the curiosity and the conversation takes him. I feel like for an interview format, that actually is really good because then you don't know where it's going to end up. You don't know where it's going to end up. And if you're consciously trying to go in a certain direction and like ask certain questions, you will naturally sacrifice the conversational fluidity, right? As a result. So that means you're giving me free license for tangents. Now. <laughs> well, I, 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 what I was going to tie back to is like that might be part of why these flow so naturally for us is that we just have like a list of, you know, quotations and stuff from the book, but we sort of just kind of like go yeah, through I mean, however If you're on the want. email list, you can get our um, kind of our outlines before the episodes, but basically they are, they're guides, yeah, they're but guides. they're not strict. Like you'll, no. if you'll see some of them. And you'll listen to the episode and be like, okay, you guys covered like half of what exactly like I think principles we probably covered like maybe not even half of the outline. But yeah, it's just like, yeah, and it's just like wherever you get, you know, interested and wherever you end up going deep is like right now we're only in like the first very first part of the book. But I feel like this is where the bulk of things were in this one, too. Yeah, yeah. So, kind of like Way of Zen as well. I would also say, like, if anyone goes back and listens to the Mastery episode, we tried really hard to stick to, like, getting through everything in the book. And it's definitely not the same in terms of, like, conversational quality. It probably wasn't the same in terms of, like, quality overall. Yeah, no, it it definitely wasn't. Because we just, like, we kept stopping ourselves to go back to the outline and be like, we have to do this, this, this. And I think after that one was when we were like, all right, I think it's probably better if we just sort of (laughs) get out of our minds and... But to be Talk. fair, that one is very linear to begin yeah, it with. Is a like, it's just a very linear structure. Uh, so that does bring us to this next subject, which is like, how do you quiet self one, right? Because you want to get out of your mind. And there's this quote from uh, DT Suzuki. Who's also quoted in Wave Zen. That's true. This is... Uh, I think he's a Zen master, right? This is Suzuki, right? The guy who ran the Zen school, I think in California? I think in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah I think so. The guy who wrote Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, I want to say. 
It's well, that's Sunryu Suzuki. I wonder if it's the same person. Anyway, the quotation is: uh, "Man is a thinking reed, but his great works are done when he is not calculating and thinking." And then later, uh, Galway says that great music and art are said to arise from the quiet depths of the unconscious, and true expressions of love are said to come from a source which lies beneath words and thoughts. And that's sort of our goal is, right? Like, how do we let go of the judgments, the self-one controlling in order to allow self to, to uh, like express itself? Did you ever have a period in your life where you felt like, so now that you have the self-one, self-two vocabulary, mm-hmm. like in hindsight, you felt like self-one was getting out of control or self, probably not really self-two getting out of control, but self-one basically getting, trusting too much in reason. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting question. I don't know if I would describe like periods of my life, but I can see where it would come like, up in times decisions. Okay. Hmm. Do, you, do you have one that you're thinking of? Yeah, I know like towards the end of college and then the beginning of post-grad time, like I was very like, I got very into like rationalism and like I started thinking that like, okay, there's nothing beyond rational thought and everything else is sort of just like, ooh, like mysticism and like, I don't know, right. new agey, like not, like there's no truth to it. It's all charlatan kind of things. But then I had this like realization too, though, that I was like, oh, I'm actually not enjoying anything that I'm doing. Hmm. I think we talked maybe briefly about this on my Nat Chat interview, but it was like, basically, I wasn't really enjoying stuff and I wasn't curious about anything, which is very mm-hmm. different than how I've always been and obviously how I am now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I basically spent like a few months, I would say, like trying to conscious, like making an effort to try to regain like what I was calling at the time. Now I know it's self too, but like at the time I was calling it like my inner child. Oh, it's a good way of framing it. Yeah. Yeah. Like being curious. Yeah. I get that in like microwaves sometimes where I usually find that if I am feeling kind of off and, you know, like depressed-ish, part of it can sometimes be that I haven't done any kind of that, like just free exploration of things that I'm interested in. Yeah. Right. It's like when work becomes too intense. It's not that you don't enjoy your work. It's just that like there's something about if that's like all you're doing. Yeah. You need to have like some uncontrolled exploration of, you know, whatever you're interested in. Especially as I feel like as our work is like progressing, it's Mm -hmm. less of Okay, I can't speak for you, but for me, it was like when Unlimited Brewing was in an earlier stage, it felt like play a lot more than Uh, it does now because now it's like much more systematized and like I'm just trying to make the system go as fast as it can. And so it's not really free exploration. It's like I'm purposely actually making it less free (laughs) (laughs) because I'm trying to put constraints on it and systems around it. And it's like part of it's fun to be able to put those systems and stuff, but it's not like this wide open territory where like everything is possible and it's just like a game. You know, it is a game, but it's a game with rules now. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> so the, the, the horizon is more clearly defined. Yeah, right? exactly. Which is like, I mean, it's a necessary step, but then you need to like balance that with some exploration as well, which is why I love these podcasts. Exactly. Because it's like so we get to a good way to like explore other things. Charlie wrote a book about this, right? About the idea of play. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Hohen, yeah. Play It Away. Yeah. Which I haven't read yet, but I've seen like his posts about it and stuff. And yeah. It seems like a great concept. Yeah, and that's kind of what really I was good. doing at that time was like actively doing that. So I started like taking acting lessons. I started like playing sports again and like just doing all these things that were like, quote, not productive, but it helped me just have more fun in life in general. Well, that's Uh, part of the problem with the whole like productivity obsession. So that's, that was me at that time too. Yeah. I was like trying to like optimize my time and like, 
yeah, that was not the way to go. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> you, you have to optimize your time within a boundary, right? <laughs> if you try to optimize like all 24 hours, then it becomes exhausting. Yeah. Right. But, but you said it happens to you on a micro level. So it's like, well, that's, I was talking about the same thing where okay. it's like, if, if I become, if I'm trying to like optimize all of my time around work and whatever oh. other projects, then eventually I'll start to like feel off from not having some of that like free exploration, whatever, like goofing around with hobby time. Right. Exactly. Right. Cause like I, I used to think it was a bad thing how I would like pick up a hobby and get like super into it for a bit and then drop it but i realized that's just sort of a necessary balance against yeah. right like my other work and then the challenge is like okay well is there a way to like make that time also productive and like funnel back into like the main project and sometimes there is sometimes there is yeah and, but if you go into it with that thought you'll never right. actually pick up the hobby yeah you have to try to reincorporate it afterwards and kind of like this it's kind of like you can't try to get you know you can't try to play out of your mind right you, you have to not, let it happen yeah yeah mm. interesting but this idea of play i think is like not talked about enough yeah no and i, I would recommend people pick up charlie's book or at I least read, read some it. of his articles on it and we talked about it in my natchat interview with oh, him cool yeah i remember okay that's where i first heard of it and then i read some of his posts about it but i haven't bought the book yet sorry yeah. sorry charlie but it's like it's incredibly effective especially for people who are like suffering from depression and like bad anxiety it's surprising how effective that kind of a treatment like can playing be. a game and yeah, yeah playing games like instead of taking drugs and it like right. sounds really silly but it works for a lot of people yeah i bet like, I mean, the kinds of inbound charlie gets for that stuff is pretty impressive really okay yeah. like people who've people who've read his stuff and their like, stuff yeah oh, yeah. That. yeah so it's definitely like a necessary part that a lot of us i think don't really get in our day-to-day -day lives yeah well because like typical work environments for sure are not conducive to play no <laughs> they take it way too seriously yeah and then if you're working hard you want to like go home and watch tv or something but i think like yeah. watching tv does not solve the same no the it, same it really impulse in your uh, brain it's not yeah, playing it's not playing i would actually argue video games do a better job than tv oh definitely that Definitely. Because you are actually playing a game, and a lot of times you're playing with other people, whether it's online or in person. There's at least some there's still some element. element. Yeah, definitely much better than television. Yeah, which like I mean, I watch TV sometimes. Yeah, so me I too. can't say like I don't, but yeah, but I think if like that's the thing you're trying to do is like play or like awake your inner child or whatever right. you want to call it, it's like TV is probably not going to do that. That was what <laughs> unless I was... you're watching like cartoons, maybe. I watched cartoons well, when I was in Mexico. We were waiting for my flight, and there was like one TV in the airport, and okay. for some reason they were showing like bugs buddy cartoons but nice. in spanish <laughs> i had such a blast watching those because it was That's like great. one i think it was because it was in spanish so it was like all you know it was like some of my brain was working just to understand what was even going on right. but i think so much of like the language part was going over my head that the visuals were just like there and also okay. i just don't watch like kids cartoons often yeah. right like if it's cartoons it's like adult cartoons which are very different so it's just like very interesting and then there are like little kids there yeah, yeah exactly It'd be like really funny <laughs> so maybe there is a place for tv but not like game of thrones is not gonna do this it's not gonna get you out of your mind <laughs> it's not gonna yeah. waste your you gotta child. be like pretty focused on it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that was always a nice thing about video games is that the good ones are yeah, designed you used to be a yeah yeah addict. like the, the good <laughs> ones are designed to immediately get you into that out of your mind state mm. and it's like a pretty easy way to relax like as long as you're not playing something like super competitive yeah so it's like starcraft isn't gonna get you out of your mind right but yeah. <laughs> uh do you still play at all or is it scary to get that you'll get like re-addicted to them yeah it's mostly like a self-preservation <laughs> i have to like i have to not let myself like how bad up. was this addiction is it legit addiction and not like legit addiction like, no but like it was affecting your life uh i mean it not like super negatively okay so it wasn't like but, so, i know some people have like this becomes like their entire life yeah i mean it was like easily three four hours a day 
Okay. Right. So it's like not an insane amount, but it was literally like school would finish. And then that would just be like all I'd want to do for the (laughs) evening or like maybe go do something social. But I feel like I have a similar tendency, but my parents like preempted it by when I got my, we got, this is going to make me maybe sound old, maybe sound young, depending (laughs) on who you are. But I got an N64 when I was in first grade and that was the first video game system that we owned. And uh, did I ever tell you about this? Maybe I did. I don't think I did. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, you don't get much homework in first grade, but you get a little bit. So the rule was like, as soon as I'm done with my homework, I'm allowed to play. Mm. But you know, you don't get homework every day in first grade. So I quickly realized, because I didn't know that like there's consequences to not doing your homework. <laughs> I quickly realized I could just say I don't have homework <laughs> and then I could go play. Right. So very quickly, I think it was like it lasted like a week before yeah. my mom was like, how is it possible that I spent like a week with no, <laughs> no homework? homework. <laughs> and then she just like asked me twice. I don't remember this, but she said she asked me twice. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, no, no, no homework. <laughs> and then I was playing. And then she said that she got a call from the teacher that like all of a sudden Neil stopped doing his homework. <laughs> is everything okay at home? And like, obviously what had changed is that we now had yeah. N64. So they made this rule that was like, you can play, but you can only play on the weekends doesn't matter if you have homework during the week or not. Like you just can't play during the week. Ouch. And that lasted till I was like 12. But it sort of like made me learn the habit of like, I got to do my shit first and then then I can play. Probably so. No, because it was like bad. <laughs> it was bad. Like I know even on the weekends, like I would do kind of what you're describing. Like I, I would have trouble waking up for school when it was like a school day. Oh, yeah. On the weekend, I'd wake up as early as I could. Oh, because I was only allowed to play for like an hour or two at a time when I was younger. Like in, And then uh, you had to take breaks and go do something else. Yeah, exactly. Because they were like, oh, we don't want you sitting here like all day just playing your N64. You should probably go outside or something too. And uh, so what I would do with my strategy very strategic little kid. I uh, would wake up as early as possible before my parents woke up because that time does not count as part of the two hour limit. It's true, they can't see. They won't know what time I got down there. So if I woke up at five and they woke up at eight, like I could be playing for five hours straight then <laughs> before I would have to take a break. Nice. <laughs> yeah, oh, I would like... I'm glad they preempted my addiction to yeah. video games because I would have definitely been addicted. <laughs> probably would not be sitting here with you right now. <laughs> We'd be at home playing Dota or something. <laughs> yeah. I'd probably know you, but through like video games. Maybe, like, oh, your yeah. voice sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually uh, doing this podcast over Discord right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so anyway, that was anyway going on. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the whole letting go of self one is really like it's hard to give anything prescriptive because most of it just comes down to trusting it right and the other big thing is like letting go of judgments so it's kind of like we were saying like hey you're playing so well then suddenly you're obsessed with like oh what am i doing to play well right and at the same time if you say like oh my backhand is really off today yeah then it will continue to be off because you've like you've judged it (laughs) self-fulfilling prophecy as well yeah yeah Yeah. so what he talks about is instead or if you think you have a bad shot like one of your shots is bad yeah like oh i have a bad backhand or i have a bad forehand it'll right. be it'll, it'll, yeah, be it'll bad every game yeah 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 because yeah. <laughs> this also it's like a reinforcing thing too it's like if you think you have a this would always happen for me like my backhand was probably not as bad as i think it was in hindsight and my forehand was probably not as good as i think it was in hindsight right it's just that every time i'd hit a good forehand there'd be a little like a mental reinforcement of like yeah there's a good forehand mm. and every time i hit a bad backhand there'd be this mental reinforcement but every time i hit a bad forehand i probably wouldn't even remember it think about it yeah like like, i I just missed it Uh, there was something that went wrong you know but it would not be that i have a bad forehand it would just be that oh like 
maybe I'll put more Thompson on it next time or something. You know, like whatever it was. It's the whole confirmation bias. Exactly. Or, and if whatever. it's a good backhand, I'd probably be like, oh, it's probably just a lucky shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's confirmation bias. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like you kind of have to remove a lot of that judgment in order to let yourself do what's in the next section, which is trusting self too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gives this distinction that it's about like letting it happen instead of making it happen. Right? It's that you uh, you can't like think your way into ability. So if you already have that ability somewhere in you, then it can happen without you consciously like making yourself do it. And so you kind of have to like step back and just like let it occur instead of trying to like force yourself. Uh, and I like this example of like a kid walking. Yeah. Right. Where he's got this line that fortunately most children learn to walk before they can be told how to by their parents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? So it can- also made me think of like this idea of learning by imitation too. Cause that's how like a child, like a child is just watching people walk and right. it's like, okay, I'll do it. Right. And like most of us, when we think about, oh, I want to go learn how to do like skill X, usually like our first step, at least for me, would be I'll go Google it. Or I'll like buy a book about it. Right, right. And then I'll like read that and then I'll go maybe go try. Like, I think my like read then try kind of feedback loop is pretty tight. Maybe not with all things, but it's like fairly tight relative to some people I know who've like been reading about how to start a company for like probably 10 years. Right. And have not tried not even like they haven't even done like a landing page probably for like anything. It's like at some point you got to like have that feedback loop. Well, it's like the research trap, right? It's really easy to just like get stuck looking for information all the time and never like starting to take action on it. Yeah. Right. But I mean, going back to the kid example, right? You don't read the kid a book on how to walk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you know it's like well like left leg goes forward it's like all right well no first you know okay it's like we stand up for a second it's like all right, we fell over that's fine right like well, i bet in the kid's mind the kid's just doing it yeah like the kid's just like i'm just gonna walk and then they get up it doesn't happen the first time they fall it doesn't happen yeah. probably the first like hundreds of times conscious thinking doesn't come online until like what two three four something like that okay yeah. so they're obvious they must be doing it before they can like consciously process right anything they're not like doing. step one yeah. <laughs> Uh, what did it say in the article again? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the wi Wi-Fi down. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like the wiki uh, how. The wiki how. <laughs> how to walk. How to walk. Gaga. Okay. Uh, it was sort of like, uh, I don't remember where I saw this. It was on Twitter somewhere, but it was like, uh, we don't read our kids a 10 point list of how to be a better person. Right. It's like, we tell them a story. It's like you, you yeah. kind of internalize knowledge, not in these like clear listicle <laughs> ways, you know, and, and for physical stuff, it's sort of like an emergent learned process yeah. from doing it. Yeah. And the whole watching thing makes sense too, because I know they've done this with tennis with other sports, but you can improve your game just by watching pros play it. Oh, totally. Right. I like, mean, have you ever noticed, I mean, I know he mentions that for tennis, but like probably played more recently, I've probably played more basketball than tennis. It's like the same kind of thing. Every time I watch basketball on TV, I feel like I'm playing so much better the next time I go play. And it's I, it's not like I practiced or like took a lesson or like no, but it, it focused on difference. technique. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Well, and a big part of it too is that most people can't externalize what they've already internalized. Like they can't explain what they just sort of know how to yeah. do. And so you kind of have to watch them doing it and then see the difference between what you do and what they do. Like I've been taking this online course for like personal knowledge management. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've been trying to get more of is just like seeing how the guy who runs it organizes his stuff. Because on one 
one level. Oh, because he might not know all the things that he's exactly doing, right. Yeah. So for the people who are really good at something, it's sometimes hard to explain exactly like what you are doing. And like I have this problem with marketing, right? So like every time I've tried to teach somebody marketing stuff, like I know that I'm not explaining everything that they need to know. Yeah. Which is why a lot of the times I'll just like show them a screen share of me doing it, right? Because it's like there's going to be a lot of little things that the I'm doing way. automatically. Well, dude, in the same way, I think the best way to teach somebody how to sell is just have them join you on the sales calls. Oh, yeah. Just have them listen in. Exactly. And then like they can ask you questions after or like, why did you say that? Or why did you answer that question that way? But like, I'm not a big fan of like, here, I'll write you a script and you can go like follow my script. Because like one, what you do might not work or what I do may not work for you in terms of your personality. And then the second thing is just like, I might not know all the things I'm doing because I can show you the words, but words mean very different things if I like shout them at you or I say, or I whisper them at you or like use different tones. Like, you know, it's just like the words are not really like the words are not what gets somebody to buy. Yeah. Well, that's why SOPs are so hard to write, because if you're going to give somebody like a step-by-step list of how to do something, you have to, you know, try to imagine all the different ways those things can be interpreted. And it's like, yeah, right, you, exactly. you, you can make them a little bit better by getting a few people to write them together. Right. And so they'll fill in the, you know, the blanks and like help you revise to make it clear, but there will still always be something. It's like not totally clear. I wonder if this is why apprenticeships are like so effective. Oh, definitely. Because you're shadowing somebody for like years yeah and because there will be a lot of things they do that they have forgotten are important right it's like i I have this experience you know all the time where i'm doing some marketing thing with someone and you'll do like a really simple google analytics like function or something and it's just like whoa right like what happened there like i would have never thought to explain that part of it oh yeah i had that the other day where i was talking uh, i wasn't explaining this but i was like oh yeah you just like find the name on linkedin and then you find the email and they're like wait i'm not seeing the email on the linkedin page i'm like oh no it's not on linkedin page there's like, I use, I still use Reportive or I also use like Rocket Reach or there's a few other tools. These are not paid by the way, <laughs> um, but I didn't think to tell the person how to actually go find the email because I just, like, I just do that. I don't like think Assume about that it. everyone knows how to do that already. Yeah, yeah. But it was like, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. I never explained that part of it. And yeah, it's just, you're right. There's probably dozens of other things that you and I are not conscious of knowing that we know how to do them. Yeah. And that's the hardest thing with coaching and with learning something like this, you know, like with tennis, right, is that you kind of have to be able to not just try to like explain exactly the step by step things. He he mentions this later, too. It's like if he got a bunch of pros together and had them write out how to do a really good forehand, it would be like a million bullet points. (laughs) Uh, But if you just watch a pro doing a forehand for like hours and then try to emulate it, really hard to learn off the bullet point. Oh, yeah. It'd be like, which one do you pay attention to? Right. (laughs) Well, that's like uh, there's this great article. I think I mentioned it before on on the five levels to expertise by the Dreyfus brothers. And one of the things they Yeah. So it's basically there's five levels of expertise, novice, advanced, beginner, competent, proficient, and expert. And depending on which level you're at, you learn in a different way and different parts of the skill have become automated. So when you're an expert, everything is by intuition. You don't use, you know, like lists and guides at all. Right. But when you're a pure novice, you need recipes, right? Clear, precise guides on how to do things. And one of the things they talk about is that as your skill becomes more intuitive, you think less about the individual steps. So they give the example of driving a car, right? When you get into a car, you don't think about like, how much pressure should I put on the, the accelerator, yeah, right. right? You just like do it. Do it. You don't think about like, how far away should I start braking, right? You just do it. I guess but, if you have to think about it, you'd be too slow. 
you'd be too slow and you'd be completely overwhelmed yeah, by how many things so you have to think things. about, yeah. right? But that's a problem for novices is that they think they have to look at all the information at once and that's that everything is equally important, right? Yeah, driving's yeah. pretty scary. If you've got like a big bolted list of things you got to do for your forehand, that's going to be scary. And then going back to the business examples, right? Like when I talk to somebody doing marketing strategy, a lot of the time they're tracking like a million metrics and like trying to optimize around all of them. And it's, you kind of have to be like, no, no, no. no. Yeah. Like you can sort of forget about 95% of this and stuff. And you probably get like a, like, I'm sure you have like a finger tip feel for like certain certain the way your business is going yeah. the way things are going with any of your particular client and you can't point to like one specific i mean you can probably point to a couple specific metrics yeah but it's more of like the overall picture that you're just intuiting like what's going on yeah well and with seo in particular it's like i can look at a keyword list and be like oh we should go after like these ones yeah but i can't really Tell explain why. Yeah. like why anymore right like i remember at one time i had you know i'd like written out rules figuring it out but eventually it just sort of becomes intuitive and then yeah. you just sort of know stuff but it's again it like goes but you can't like <laughs> re-external it makes you very bad if you were getting paid for your advice not your execution yeah you'd be a really bad consultant well that was i mean that was one of the things i didn't like about consulting yeah. <laughs> was that it was like trying to explain that stuff yeah. i was like uh so the best way to understand it is to go do it for three years yeah. <laughs> and they're like well how do we just pay you to yeah do this? all right well here we go yeah. <laughs> And this kind of all comes back to this next section on like changing habits, right? Is that the whole goal of the book is to help you change how you approach the game and approach life from this like very controlled self one, like I need to, you know, have like a grip on everything and like control it to switching more to like trusting self to, to execute for you. Right. It's like, I mean, kind of the way I've been thinking about it more from reading this book is, and we've talked about this a bit before too, but there is, uh, oh, you know, we talked about it in principles. So there's the machine and then there's you operating on the machine yeah. and like your body and your output and self two are the machine and self one is only like, you know, a mechanic on self two. Right. But you know, the mechanic can't like push the car, the car has to run, right. but you can tune the car and like, you can improve it. Right. Or you can make try it better. to push the car, but it's not going to go very fast. Go very fast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be hard to like steer and everything. Yeah. Right. Uh, oh, that's actually a really good analogy. Yeah. Right. I like that a lot it's because like, it's like, you can push the car. It's going to do a horrible job. It's not going to be the it's best way to fix go. The car. Yeah. Right. And also like the amount of operations that are going on in the car, like to make it run are way more than you could ever consciously do yourself, like yeah. a person could do. Well, he, he's got this example in here, or maybe it's in a later chapter, right? Of, uh, you don't think about how your tongue feels in your mouth yeah. very often. <laughs> Until you're, you're thinking about I it right it now. Out, yep. yeah. <laughs> or it's like, uh, you know, if you just say, just like, hey, you're consciously breathing now. Right. Yeah. And it's like, oh, wait, shit. Right. Now I'm thinking about my breathing. Uh, but all those <laughs> like things even, run automatically. Like, even if you think about how to say a word. Yeah. And then you say it multiple times or think about it, and it always sounds weird. Now, yeah. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's not a real word. Is yeah. It? It's right? like, or when you look at a spelling for a while, you're like, that can't be right. Yeah. Because <laughs> you start consciously thinking exactly. about it. Exactly. Start thinking about it. If you ever think about reading too, while you're reading, and you think about actually looking at each word mm -hmm. and like understanding the word in the sentence, yeah, reading, it's point. suddenly like, what the hell is going on here, right? How the fuck do we learn how to read? Well, I mean, think about it. It is like, think about it. We're looking at these shapes and our brain is interpreting them at like lightning speed into what the concepts are behind those, not just each individual shape, but the blocks of shapes and how they tie together in structure and relate to each other. How the world it's really crazy learn right? how to read. Especially when you realize that you don't need to look at each word 
right? right? You can look sort of in the spaces between them and your mind will put them all together. And then you don't need to sub vocalize as you're reading. Right. You don't need to like say the words and you'll still get the meaning. And crazy. if the letters are all mixed up, as long as the first and last letter are the yeah. same, you still read it perfectly fine. Yeah. It's like, what the <laughs> hell is going on here? Right? Gosh, the brain is powerful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and it's also such a, like a perfect example of like an emergent property in a complex system. Because if you take a word and you just break it down to its letters, it loses 99% of the meaning, right? So if, if I have a word like this, right, this means a lot. But if I just have T-H-I-S, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But there's <laughs> no- Together as a word. Yeah, exactly. But there's yeah. no like extra value like added yeah. when you put them together. It's just this like emergent property. <laughs> and then you wild. put a bunch of words together into a sentence, right? Like this microphone is on a book. Each of those words individually don't really mean anything, right. but you put them in that specific order. And there's like this whole other emergent- You get a picture. That yeah. You, like, you've got like, an image in your head, right? You've got like an understanding <laughs> of your environment. You can like communicate something to you someone. You can tell it to somebody else. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's crazy. crazy. So, and Jeez, that's the braid is weird. And I guess that's kind of like the self too thing, right? Is that there's all this other stuff going on below the surface. Yeah, we're not consciously like, okay, T H I S. Like you are maybe when you're learning how to read. I'm not yeah, sure. I think you do in the very beginning, yeah. right? Uh, but then eventually. And I'm not like, okay, this means like, let me correlate that to what that means in my brain. And then like microphone. Okay. What is like, or sorry, not microphone. M I C R O. Right. And I'm like, okay, I think it says microphone. Now, what does a microphone correspond to in my brain? Like, yeah. we're not consciously doing all that. Well, and that's part of the problem of like breaking something down to its steps is that especially with a complex system you lose a lot of the like total value if you just try to break it down like that so i think in the beginning it can be helpful to like learn for you know a baseline right yeah. like a few basic things for you know doing your forehand but then after that you sort of need the like full picture probably from like visualization of somebody else doing it and then from like letting yourself do it and not trying to consciously control it right because like you were saying if we consciously control our reading it's gonna be really really slow it's gonna be really, really slow yeah yeah i mean so much of it too is like you kind of do have to just do it yeah and it starts to get innately like it starts to become innate knowledge like probably the skill that i could say i've like maybe started to internalize but not anywhere close to like a master at it is uh so like for brewing mm -hmm. i know when i first started i actually did start by buying a book and looking up some stuff online and like i didn't really understand what was actually happening until i just did it and messed up and then I did it again and I didn't mess up. It wasn't great beer, but I didn't mess up. Right. Like, and I got through all the steps and stuff. And then you do it enough times. And like some of the steps you don't even think about when you brew now. Mm -hmm. Like when I brew now, there's not like, I don't think about the basic steps anymore. It's more like the variables I want to play with. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I've heard that some like from, so when I was doing a lot of like brewmaster interviews, when I was doing that blog, I heard this come up a lot where people would say like, who'd been brewing for like 25, 30 years, professional level too. They would be saying like, they can tell how the beer is going to taste based on how their ingredients are responding during the brewing process. Oh, cool. So it hasn't even fermented yet. And they're not yeah. tasting anything, but they're like, oh, I got that weird, like some aroma of grapefruit coming out of the mm -hmm. kettle. And it's not like, oh, it's just not one-to-one -one correlation. It's like they can tell how it's going to transform during the fermentation huh. because they've just done it so many times. Yeah. You know, it's like it's become innate knowledge. Like they're not thinking about that translation. They're just like, oh, this is going to be a little too malty. And then they make the iterations during the actual brewing process. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not that different than too many yeah. other, like I'm sure like chefs are the same way. Well, I was going to say I'm kind of that way with tea now where like I don't measure out the tea leaves. I can just sort of like know by looking at it what the right amount is. Yeah. And then also I can tell, I can usually tell if it's over or under seeped by the color. 
Hmm. Right. So it's like sort of just by looking at it, if it's a team I'm familiar with. Right. right? Like, no, but know, that means you've correlated the like. But I, I couldn't tell it. you exactly what, you know, like shades. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, this certain opacity means that it's like oversteeped. You just sort of like, I just I wonder if that's going to be it. a problem. This is now this is for sure a tangent. Oh, I know AI. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You, you know, how my brain works. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went to the exact same place. I yeah. Like, I was thinking like, how is a lot of this like innate knowledge? Well, I was not even going all the way to AI yet. I was just thinking as things get like, quote, automated, mm. like you have to know all the different variables that we're taking into account today in order to code them. Well, that's, I mean, that was part of Dalio's goal in principles, right? Where he talks about like, try to figure out how to write it as an algorithm, mm. right? That you can plug back into a machine because I think there is actually value to, you know, you start here, like super basic step-by-step, step, you ramp up to pure intuition, but then if you can create a step-by-step step from that, that is like infinitely better, that does take in the important parts, you can probably get 90% oh, yeah. as good, right? I mean, especially in an environment where it depends on other people learning things as well because if it's just you like tennis is like okay let's say singles right if you're just playing for yourself you don't necessarily have to teach it to anyone so it's okay if it's fully innate knowledge right right but you can't really teach that innate knowledge <laughs> in the same way yeah i think he calls himself out for that a lot too he's like as a coach sometimes you don't feel like you're being as helpful if you're basically like you're not really giving him any useful hints. Remember, oh, there's like right. that one yeah. part where he's, he's like, like, if I just tell them to like do their forehand and like, trust well, themselves. Why are they paying me? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> why do you need to pay a pro all this yeah. money? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that would, I mean, it's kind of like what comes up in Go to Lesher Bach, right? Where yeah. he's talking about like the termite colony. Right. Right. Yep. They're just doing this simple, like putting stuff here and putting stuff there. And then suddenly this arch comes out of, you know, seemingly nowhere. Right. And that's kind of like crazy and sort of like with all the musical stuff, right, where you layer a few things on top of each other and suddenly there's this like new piece that comes out of it. Right. But it's really just the same piece layered on top of itself. Right. Like with the cannons. Yeah. So it's uh, kind of like an emergent. Yeah. That one's also like emergent. And then like the strange loop, like stories within stories. Right. Like that combines to a greater whole as well. Right. And that was, I think that was kind of what he was getting at with intelligence is that it is based on these like simple processes that emerge into something much greater. And that is going to be very difficult to like program. But we think of programming right now anyway. Unless you had a general intelligence, which is hard. Yeah. Like, I don't well, know or, or unless it's actually not that complicated right. and then complex systems just naturally arrive or yeah. arise from simple Simpler systems, systems, right? Yeah. Which to be fair, Could I be think like, too. that is possible yeah. too, right? I mean, we've all probably had this experience of like doing something fairly simple that you know emerges into something more complex over time yeah right like you can do little habit tweaks productivity tweaks and then suddenly you have this like much better lifestyle that comes out of it that you can't really point down to just a specific couple of tweaks right right yeah or something simple like effect like i think you brought up maybe on a different episode or maybe just a conversation but if you just go work out like how it affects so many other behaviors. Yeah. But that's just one small, simple change of like, okay, I went to the gym for 45 minutes or an hour and that changes like your entire day. Yeah. Now like everything else is different after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's like a pretty small change, but affects the huge effect. System. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so, oh, one thing that we sort of skipped over, but that okay. I did want to say was like, um, there's a quote from the book. It says, the same kind of detached interest is what is necessary to let your tennis game develop naturally. Remember that you are not your tennis game. You are not your body. Trust the body to learn and play as you would another person to do a job. And in a short time, it will perform beyond your expectations. Let the flower grow. So like this whole thing about, we started talking about the trust part, but like, I think that's actually really hard for Uh, a lot of us. (laughs) It's super hard. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Have you found anything that helps you do that? Because I know like you were talking about for writing, you get into like a bit of a flow state. 
Yeah, I I mean there I think we've talked about this before a bit. Like certain things definitely help music of the right type, at least for writing, right? If I'm talking about writing, sure. the right kind of music is super helpful. Uh, one thing that I've found is that I want to be like just lightly distracted. So being in a coffee shop helps oh, for me. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember. So silence is not necessarily. Sounds not necessarily good. I, there's, uh, I think it's a TED talk. I'm not sure where I saw it, but it's like you only have a certain number of attentional units, right? So say you have like 150 attentional units and you're only going to use up a hundred of them on writing. You've still got 50 attentional units that want to be used because your body wants to pay attention to things. And so you kind of have to use those up with something else. Otherwise, they're going to be distracted by other things. Exactly. Like, oh, I should go check email or I should go check, check email, Facebook, Facebook like, Twitter, like yep. talk to this person. Yep. So you want to find like an ideal level of focus mm. where you're like fully consumed, but not overstimulated and not understimulated. Got it. And so yeah. in that sense, it helps to have have like these kind of light distractions. That idea of units makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, I've it's, never a, it's a cool way of like quantifying that. it, yeah. right? And then starting to think about like, okay, what are some light distractions I can add in right. that will, you know, like help me do this? Well, it's like certain types of music are also better than others. Yeah, exactly. Because maybe certain types are too distracting and certain types are not distracting enough. And then some are like that just right exactly. level. Deep house, yeah. relax. Deep house, relax. <laughs> Spotify needs to pay us for this. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that a Spotify playlist? I think yeah, it is, Spotify right? Spotify playlist, yeah. yeah. So that that's definitely my my go-to. One. Yeah, same. Although I recently like I haven't made a playlist for it, but I have like randomly found a few other songs that I'll just throw like on repeat. They're all similar to like Deep House Relax. Like it's yeah. just like very repetitive, like no words and just let it go. And sometimes like the repeat stuff helps also, even if the song has words. Oh yeah, like the same song on repeat. That's great for that it. That works also. I've I used it. to use something called listenonrepeat.com. Have you oh, ever heard cool. about that? Yeah. So you go to YouTube. And you find a video of whatever song, this is like pre-Spotify days, but it's still an awesome tool. So you go to YouTube, you find like a video of the song that like is whatever you want to put on repeat. You take the part that's after the YouTube.com part. So like the little like code that's oh, after yeah. like the letters and numbers or whatever. You go to listen on repeat.com and just paste the code after. Okay. And it'll just loop the video on listen on repeat.com. Oh. Really? I bet it's like a one person company. Yeah. But like the guy's probably, and it's just all ads that they make the money off of because it's on that page. There's just like banner ads basically. Right. It's just full of banner ads. But you never have the tab open really until yeah. when, only when you're setting when it up. You open it and yeah. close it. Yeah. But every time the song reloads, it reloads the thing. Oh. So they get another impression every time. Smart. So smart. <laughs> really smart. <laughs> It's probably getting a terrible conversion rate for his advertisers, but it doesn't matter if it's on the Google Display Network. (laughs) Exactly. Which I would be so pissed if I ever saw like my own ad. I'd be like, come on, man. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Dude, impression ads have made the internet a worse place. (laughs) This is like a complete tangent, but was one of the big things I've like tried to do recently is to remove all advertising from my life. Yeah, I saw you. I mean, even on your own site, you have obviously no like even even pop-ups for your own thing. Well, well, but I also mean for like all of my consumption. Oh, really? Okay. Right. So part of the reason I read everything in Instapaper is that there's no ads, pop-ups, whatever, right? Like I never want to read on somebody's site, like unless it's a medium or unless they have like as high like appearance standards as I do. And then like I pay for YouTube Red. Oh, right. you do? Okay, how much is that? It's like not much, It's right? only like maybe 10 bucks a month. Okay. 10 or 15. So there's but, no ads then? So there's no ads, right? Because it's like, I don't want to, I never want to see an ad, right? And it's like with TV too. Facebook, I think you don't have ads, right? You have well, Yeah, I don't blocker. even have a news feed on Facebook, right? right? Yep. So it's like so not going to see anything there. Ads, yeah. yeah, Twitter ad blocker still works. So you yeah. don't have to see them there. Uh, it's like, you can pretty much do this for any place you normally Red consume media. Google 
ad blocker works as well oh it does okay yeah yeah, yeah i didn't realize so that. i don't see him there like it's not hard to remove ads from your life and it's definitely like a good thing to do <laughs> like your life is objectively worse with ads and they also like they get in your head right mm. and they mess with you yeah they do uh, i mean it's like probably self too is picking up on things oh yeah exactly and it like thinks it needs to like go buy a billify right, to, right like help with whatever <laughs> billify does yeah or you're like you're too fat or you're yeah, too exactly. skinny or you're too whatever you know like whatever it is that's the one thing i don't like about <laughs> this sounds terrible it's one thing i don't like about going outside <laughs> i can't what is that agoraphobic <laughs> yeah, that agoraphobia, agoraphobic? Right? yeah. Like, I, I can't control that there are billboards <laughs> and like tvs in places right and then like those have ads but like ads in the real world are much less distracting than ads like on technology because ads on technology you can like a b test it and you can like figure out what's going to do best although there's a lot of companies working on that in the real world oh, i'm now. sure there's uh i forget the name of the company but i think they're i think it was recently became a billion dollar company that basically turned doctor's offices into an ad network dude i went to a doctor's office like that once yeah and as soon really, as I basically they in, give them a free tv yeah and they just put ads on it that just loop basically and now you're there's so many companies that want to hit doctors and patients they're just selling ads against that so smart dude as soon as i walked in i was like okay i can't listen to anything you say now right (laughs) like your judgment is clearly compromised because you were displaying ads in your office right like well to be fair it always used to be like that too it just wasn't as overt now it's like straight up like in the office but what would happen before is like I know it's because my dad actually used to be a pharma salesman oh, back okay. in the day. That was like his first job. Oh, he was a bad guy. And uh, Yeah, but he was saying that like they were allowed to like take doctors on trips and like they would just spend so much money just convincing doctors to prescribe their drug. So wild. Like, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Which is probably why he's very like anti-prescription drug. <laughs> probably, yeah. He like never takes anything. He doesn't well, even take like Tylenol even if he needs it. Oh, dude, Tylenol is terrible for yeah. you. Right. Like, it's not, yeah. I, well, we talked about, um, what was it, ibuprofen? when uh is ibuprofen i think okay yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, i think i told you i used to pop motrin like it was oh yeah for like every game yeah Yeah. with the my joint issues Mm -hmm. and i yeah that was probably a bad idea bad news yeah i haven't taken them since probably i was 18 the last time i took one but i try to only use aspirin for hangovers and stuff yeah Yeah, i usually don't take anything for hangovers just drink coconut water and ride it out and just ride it out eat punish yourself fatty food works really well for me yeah Uh, probably for everybody I just well, go eat like a big meal. <laughs> something about like the lipids help absorb the alcohol. Okay. I, I don't entirely understand the chemistry. You should know this, but for the anti hangover stuff, not sure. No, no, no. I mean like the chemistry of like how the fats affect like alcohol in your system. It is something. Yeah, it would affect it differently than other okay. things. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. We'll look it up. Put it in the show notes. I'm also scared of like finding out it's all pseudoscience. Because then it won't <laughs> Could like, be. then it won't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, actually, does a placebo effect work? If you so know it's a placebo actually, effect? I believe they do still work even if you know it's a placebo. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, which is totally insane. Do you think it's a self one, self two thing though? Probably. Could it be yourself one knows, but yourself two does not? Well, it could also just be that it's like the desire to get better is sufficient, right? It's like, uh, you know, Taleb reference number two, he mentions this in Anti-Fragile or something where he says that like we were actually better off when we went to the temple to pray for cures oh, for basic yeah. diseases. No harm. Because there's no harm yeah. done, right? And then you get the placebo effect from the prayer and then you get better. But so you're your not, net effect is like... Your net effect is positive. Yeah, so if yeah. like medicine, let's say, gives you a plus 20%, but also a minus 15%, the net is five. Whereas if placebo effect gives you, I don't know, plus 10, 10 is greater than five. So yeah. you're ahead. Yeah. So you're, you're and there's ahead. no downside. Right. Like you waste like 20 minutes maybe. Well, and also, I mean, these ridiculous things can happen, right? Where you like go into the hospital for bronchitis yeah. and then like something gets messed up in the paperwork and suddenly you're like dead. 
Yeah. Right? <laughs> like that's not going to happen if you're doing it on your own. I mean, I'm very in the camp now that I'm like never going into a hospital unless like I'm literally dying or yeah. something comes back and like the tests that I can do on my own. Right. Because you can do pretty much all the tests like mm-hmm. yourself now. You don't have. I was talking to someone in the UK actually about this when I was there last week about yeah. uh, we were talking about wisdom teeth surgery. Oh, OK. And apparently there it's like a, there's been a huge backlash against it. And very few people get it now because there's like I think Taleb actually talked about it. Wasn't isn't that an antifragile also where it's basically like they showed they did a, a study of like they showed dentists mm-hmm. like here's like a hundred pictures of kids who you know their um their wisdom teeth basically okay. who needs to get them removed and on average they would all say like basically about a third would uh, would say and then they would show like these. they would show a sample of another hundred all hundred had already been opted in for by the dentist in the previous round. And then another third of those were selected. <laughs> so it's basically just like in their head, it's like, oh, a third of people need to get this. Yeah. So of any sample that they show, it's like, okay, you probably need to get it. That's wild. That's crazy. Yeah. It's literally crazy because there's a downside to it too. Oh yeah. It's not just like all up. It's not like, oh, it's a totally safe surgery. There's like no totally safe surgery. So even if like 2% of the people getting them are dying, that's straight up like, or dying or having some dire effect happen to them. That's horrible. Well, dude, the crazy thing with teeth too is like historically humans had great teeth. Yeah. There's like this weird myth that like, oh, our teeth would like rot and fall out by age 30. It's like absolutely not true. You can look at like skulls from, you know, ancient hominids and like they kept their teeth forever and they all had full jaws with like no wisdom teeth issues. And it seems like it's mostly a dietary thing that we have this issue now. It's like a dietary malnutrition. Uh, There's actually so like there's a specific mouth microbiome right there's like bacteria like live in your mouth and ours are just like completely fucked up by our diets and that actually affects your jaw shape huh it affects how your jaw develops through childhood and everything yeah so if you look at like older hominids they have like these wider yeah uh, so like yeah like the typical like manly jaw right that's like the natural jaw shape but most like men in particular and women have this too our jaws have narrowed because of like bad diet and everything and that's what crowds out those back teeth and why we have to get the surgery and like the you know also like why people get so many cavities and all of this stuff interesting and so okay. I mean, theoretically yeah but the worst part is that it's like an epigenetic phenomenon too so if it happens to a parent they pass it on to their kid automatically so if your parents had like a bad you know grain-based diet there's literally like parents, nothing parents, you can like, do like, exactly who knows how many generations up it would take like a few generations of like eating a more ancestral diet to like get the natural jaw shape back hmm. because like all of our you know epigenetic expression is just completely screwed up from wow. the last couple hundred years of eating right that's really interesting it's super wild yeah yeah <laughs> anyway we should probably we should. <laughs> get back to tennis we're running out of time here. that was a great that was, that a, great was, tangent, that was a good though. tangent though i, like I, love, I like that tangent uh we should make like an episode of just the tangents yeah like a tangent excerpt episode yeah that'll be like the you know maybe over the holidays if we can't record yeah one. we could do like a christmas episode <laughs> just our favorite tangents or we just get drunk on eggnog and go off on tangents for three hours <laughs> maybe our most popular episode probably <laughs> Uh, I mean, okay. you're not drunk on eggnog right now. <laughs> <laughs> I had somebody ask that. They were like, you guys sound like you're drinking during the show. Are you? It's like, Green no, that's just, usually that's just like... how Neil and I are when we <laughs> hang out. <laughs> that's good. That's good. good. That means that we, yeah, it's we're like sign. as loose as like people would think we would be if we were drinking. We're, we're letting go. We're trusting <laughs> self-tutor on the episode. <laughs> I do notice that we do that more. Yeah. Like at least I know for me, it wasn't the first few episodes. I was definitely thinking about what I was saying a lot more. It's like, oh, this is being recorded. People are going to hear what I'm saying. But then I'm like, people are going to hear what I'm saying anyway. (laughs) Like, when I roll with it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's no different. All right. So, we should talk about the concentration and learning to focus. 
Yeah, which is probably something we can learn yeah, from. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, I, I like what you distinguishes here that the best way to allow yourself to focus is to just be really interested in the tennis ball. Mm. And so he talks about like trying to see the seams as it's coming over the net and like trying to say to yourself the like hit or the bounce hit, right? So he talks about like say bounce right when you think it's going to bounce on the court and say hit right when you think your racket is going to hit it. And just focusing on vocalizing like that will force you to kind of get out of your conscious head, right? right. This is where he starts to give those tricks that are really useful of like ways you can make yourself like turn off self one a little bit, which is obviously like a contradiction, right? Where it's like, you can't make your, you can't like use self one to turn off self one. No, but this is kind of like the same idea of playing music or whatever, right? It's like, if you like playing music while writing or something or doing mm. work, it's like you're occupying self one. Exactly. So it can like go off and you, it's them. like, yeah, it's like, it's like you're like a little kid or something. It's like, you go do this little I task. Like, I think it's like yeah. the annoying person on the team at work. Yeah, exactly. It's like, here, why don't you go like edit the PowerPoint, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> Just like get them out of the way. Just get them out of the way exactly. so the rest of you can work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I got from this actually is like, this, these are all tactics to like occupy self one. Yeah. In like a non-distracting way. Exactly. <laughs> like here, you just, like, you just you worry about this. Yeah. Try to try to time when the ball is going to hit the car. Like that's really important. You should focus on that. Count how many times. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like when you have trouble sleeping, if you just yeah. like count. Count back from a thousand. Yeah, it yeah. shuts off your conscious brain. It's like, otherwise, I don't know. Do you ever have these nights where like you're literally thinking of everything under the sun possible? I've gotten better about that. Yeah, but I, I definitely have. I, I fight nights. it by counting and it yeah. works. It's like crazy, but it works. Well, it's sort of like with meditation too, right? Like you start by focusing on the breathing. And the, the mistake most people make is that they control their breathing. So they like deliberately breathe oh, in and out. Breathe. But you're you're just supposed to breathe normally and just like watch it, right? And then eventually the watching it like goes away. Right. And then you're just in the meditative state. Well, it's kind of like sleeping too. It's just like you, sleeping. Yeah, it's like when you're counting, it's like, I don't even know what number I ever end up getting up to. It's like you just fall yeah, asleep just at some point. Fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's the same with this, right? Yep. It's like you probably at some point stop saying in your head, you know, bounce, bounce hit, bounce yep. hit, but you're in the zone at that point. And right. so you don't need it anymore. Right. And he actually calls out the breathing thing too. Yeah. He talks about breathing a lot where he says that it's like the most effective way on and off the court to uh, regain your focus. I think, is it in that same concentration section? But yeah, it's uh, at the very end. Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah, my own device and one that has been effective for many of my students is to focus attention on breathing. And so it's probably, you know, it's a really good way during the match, probably not during the match, but like after the match, I think is when he's talking about it. Mm-hmm. Or like in between sets, you don't want to get in your head, right? And think about like, oh, you know, how did I do or on Or even that in between one? points and stuff. Yeah, it's or like, between yeah. points, right? Because tennis has that really weird thing. It's like there's no, there is a lot of break in the action. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of time for you to get back into your head, right? Right. So it's like while you're hitting, it's like things just tend to be moving so fast that you probably don't have much time to think about it. I mean, you could think about it and that's bad, but it's like in between points, you could like get so into your head because it's like 30 seconds or so between each point. You got time to think like, oh, what did I do right away? I always wonder that. I was thinking about that yesterday when I was watching football. I was like, in football, they're standing around most of the time on the sidelines. Something like like, two thirds of football is not action. And then if you think about the units are split between offense and defense. Right. So like only like one sixth of the time you're probably actually out on the field. And so let's say you get really good at staying in, you know, focused or being out of your mind in your time on the field. What about all the time you're off the field? It's got to be hard. It's really hard. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Or maybe that it's kind of like um, 
Josh Whiteskin, right? Was the one mm-hmm. you're saying, uh, who was really good at sort of popping in and Turning popping out of it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they have to get really good at that. I'm sure that must be part of the training yeah. for the really good teams. It's yeah. just like learning how to calm down and get out of your head. Yeah. And also like, you don't know when you're going to go back on offense if you're on the offense. Right. So you gotta like, be ready to pick it up at any time. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting skill. A great skill to develop. Yeah. Um, I love this next part though about the meaning of competition. Oh yeah, that was like more like a finite, infinite games kind of. That was a really cool new way of thinking about it too that I really enjoyed. Well, and you know, to give uh, the listeners context, like basically he was saying he used to be kind of like the opposite of his dad, right? His dad was very pro competition, right? And he was not. Yeah, so he, he was like wanted to like play for fun. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, oh, I'm, like he'd almost feel bad when he'd beat the other person, right? And then, like, yeah, and so the way that he reconciled this i would say like over time was um realizing that an opponent is just sort of like a way to measure not measure yourself a way to like test yourself test and challenge Challenge. yeah yeah so like i love this quote where he says talking about surfers Mm -hmm. because i think he would use that as the example with his dad right like he would say like oh well surfers aren't trying to beat anybody they're just surfing for like the thrill of, of the ride and then he realized that like that's not actually true because surfers do go chase the biggest wave or the toughest wave that they can go find. Right, right. And he's trying to figure out why because it's like there's no opponent. Like there's no one you're trying to beat, you know? And so what's the motivation? Yeah. And then his, so he has this quote here from the book where he says, it is only against the big waves that he, he, referring to the surfer, is required to use all his skill, all his courage and concentration to overcome. Only then can he realize the true limits of his capacities. So it's like you're using that as like your challenge. Right. You know, well, it's you, part of how you there. get out of your mind too. It's like if you read Kotler's book on the rise of Superman, he says that's one of the core components of going into flow is being at just the right level of challenge. Oh, interesting. Because right. if the challenge is too easy, then you won't get into flow because you'll just be kind of bored by it. And if it's too hard, you'll get completely overwhelmed and frustrated. Mm. So you have to find a challenge that he calls is at the sweet spot where it's just hard enough to like make you completely focused on it, but not so hard that it's overwhelming. And so for like a surfer, that would be, you know, going against the highest wave that you can yeah. reasonably handle. Yeah, if right? you're like a novice like me. Yeah, you're not going to go, go out and jump on like a 50 foot wave. Yeah, whatever. Like, <laughs> it's going to be bad news. Gonna be, yeah, exactly. It's going to be dead. <laughs> and also, likewise, if you're used to doing those and you go on like a three foot wave, you're going to be like, okay. right. And be like, all right, whatever, I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so then for, you know, a tennis match, it's going to be against the person who is like maybe just a little bit better than you. Yeah. It makes yeah. you focus on it. And in hindsight, too, it's like thinking back to the matches that I enjoyed the most that I remember are like, all against people who are like the similar skill level to me mm. and we're also playing good that day. Right. So it's like whether you win or lose, it's just like a pleasure. You know, it's like fun. <laughs> well, that's where uh, some of these video games do such a good job. Like the competitive oh, they ones. Match you up. Yeah. So if you yeah. play like Starcraft or Dota or Hearthstone or any of these ones that are very competitive focused, you're playing against people who are at the same like rating as you. Yeah. And so every match is like against yourself almost. Right. right? Which, which is like always going to be. Yeah. Which is always going to be super challenging and you immediately get into that flow state. Have right? you ever played uh, Call of Duty? Like, do you play that? Uh, I've played that some. Yeah. Okay. They don't do that good of a job. No, they don't the day, do a good job at all. You'd end up sometimes in lobbies with like people who are like straight up professionals, yeah. seemingly professionals at Call of Duty. Just cleaning everyone <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah. And then sometimes there's people who are like not, they don't even know how to play. Right. <laughs> Just like free food. They're like spinning around in a circle. Yeah. That was one of, that was always one of my frustrations <laughs> with Call of Duty was it was like really hard to get into as a beginner yeah. in the online matches just yep. because like there'd be people who are so good just make it not fun. <laughs> exactly. Whereas the games that are balanced well, right? It's like you always have somebody kind of at your challenge level. 
just having a perfectly evenly matched person you can play against, it makes all the difference in yeah. terms of getting into that flow state. It also gives you very little mental space to like think about other stuff. Like as he's talking here, like past the past or future glories right, or mistakes right. and being caught up in the future or fears and dreams. Exactly. It's, you're just in the game. Because you have to. It's you like, have to. If yeah. you let up, it's like not you're, you're going to lose. lose. Yeah. So you have just no margin for error and it forces you to be in the present. Which is probably why shit talking in games works so well. Yeah. <laughs> because if you're playing against somebody evenly matched and you can like get them on tilt by shit talking, yep. it gives you a little... And well, that's like actually advantage. interesting. Uh, I'm blanking on what you could call it, but like a behavior that is kind of universal, right? In games. Yeah. That like has to have had some purpose. Exactly. Like, right. you know, it can't just exist like cross-culturally yeah. for no reason. Well, I mean, to be fair, it probably started. Yeah. Like, but it's a good tactic. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's sort a good of tactic. always worked. <laughs> so like the whole Conor so the McGregor. Would talk would like win. Do well. And and like, like, I should do Like, that. I should emulate that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> or you get it done to you and you see how effective it is. And you're like, oh, I'm going to turn it to that to people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then the last section is just taking the inner game off the court. Uh, and he's got this quotation that the people who will best survive the current age are those who can keep their heads while all are about to lose theirs. And it's about this, you know, this idea of developing inner stability, right? And it's not about burying your head in the sand at the side of danger, but developing the ability to see the true nature of what's happening and to respond appropriately, right? So like not letting self one react in a way that will disrupt your inner balance or clarity or like yeah. seeing things as they are, but not judging them, just like integrating them into your experience and being able to respond the way you naturally would. Yeah, and I think uh, even in like startup world, this is like super important too. Oh, yeah. Because like, like day-to-day metrics. Yeah, oh. or even like having the like daily panics and daily elation of like, it's working or yeah. when it's not working, you like freak out, like, oh, might as well pack it up. Exactly. <laughs> this company isn't working. And like, <laughs> I mean, I consciously, I would say know a lot of this stuff that I shouldn't have those peaks and valleys, but right. like, I definitely do. There are definitely days where I'm like, ah, shit, this isn't working. Dude, that's why I tell people not to look at their analytics so much. Yeah, I think it makes sense because it's addicting. Yeah, it's like looking at your stock portfolio, Yeah, right? If you're doing a a long-term strategy, you should not be checking that every day. That's a good point. Yeah, I check like very rarely for my stocks because everything I have is like longer term. And even we were talking about crypto the other day. Yeah, it's like I don't even check the Bitcoin price anymore. I just keep putting money in every week. And like I trust that on long enough time scale, it's going to keep going up. But if you look at it daily, I mean, it crashed like a thousand dollars in a day last week. (laughs) It's like the easy way to freak yourself out. Right, exactly. So you either have to have a really good stomach for it or I mean, to be fair, some people are playing shorter term games. Well, yeah, obviously they're they're playing a short term game. But if you're doing a long term game, then it makes no sense to do this. Right. It's going to like the score takes care of itself. You know, another great sports influence book. Oh, yeah, dude, you got to get it. But, he, you know, he talks about it, too. It's like if you're doing the right things, then the day to day results don't matter that much. Like you integrate what you can learn from them and how you might improve your process. But if taking in information isn't going to change how you act in response to similar information in the future, you shouldn't take it in at all. Right. Right. It's kind of like the news, right? Like, yeah, if the news isn't going to change how you (laughs) act today, like don't read it. Yeah. Right. Don't like just take it for water cooler bullshit. Right. It's like just don't like clog up your mind with the junk. junk That's not going to affect you in a day to day basis. Same thing thing with like junk stats and all of it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I think that covers most of the the book. Um, I would highly recommend picking up a copy of this book, especially like 
you know, if you've seen some of our other recommendations and we're intimidated by the size of the book, like <laughs> Principles or Go to Lesher Bog. Yeah, and we've done a few long ones recently. Done a few long ones. Yeah. Even Anti-Fragile is pretty long. That's true. It's like a 400-some page book. Yeah, I mean, this was very accessible. Like, the vocabulary is not hard to understand. Yeah. It's You don't need to play tennis. You don't need to play tennis, yeah. so don't get intimidated by that. You don't even need to play a sport. No. Um, it applies to work and everything as and well. And actually, I would say if the way if Way of Zen was like intriguing to you, but maybe a little bit intimidating, this yeah. is a lot of like the practical application of Yeah, of I would actually things. say if Way of Zen or Finite and Infinite Games yes. were interesting, yeah. but you just like, couldn't get through the language yeah. or just didn't get into it, I would pick this book up. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a really good way of approaching similar ideas. Yeah, totally agree. So you can pick that up. You can click through on madeyouthinkpodcast.com. Yes, where you will find a link to the show notes for this episode, as well as a handy little box where you can sign up for email updates about this episode. What do you get if you sign Uh, up for the email update? I mean, they get so many things. They get uh, (laughs) our notes for the episode before they go live. You get to know about upcoming books in case you want to read them with us. Uh, We're going to be doing some giveaways and free stuff in the future. So you have to be uh, subscribed to get that. We're starting to record our (laughs) pre-episode banter now. Which is quite uh, entertaining, I I would say. If you want a all-tangents mini-episode, that is the best way to get it. It's our warm up. Let's put it that. It's, way. it's our warm it's up. It's our warm up. Yeah. Before we start, <laughs> because basically we would have these conversations and not be recording them. Then we'd be like, "Damn, that would have actually been pretty yeah, interesting." Yeah, would have been cool to include. And you can't recreate them. No, no, it's all it's all organic. <laughs> yeah, we're, and especially like today, we were a little rushed. I think right. for the episodes, we you know Neil's going out of town. It's Thanksgiving week, and so we had to like kind of oh, yeah, we're recording this on Thanksgiving week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we had to pack it in a little bit, but you know, normally we have like three hours fairly free time, and, and it's so usually we'll Friday afternoon. Exactly. But, yeah. Yeah. I spent the first half hour maybe even hour just like talking about <laughs> random stuff and then realize okay we actually have to record the episode <laughs> yeah. Yeah. oh and thank you to everybody who's been leaving reviews oh uh, yes yeah so if you can keep leaving reviews if you haven't already well if you haven't go leave a review if you yes. have already left a review thank you and uh you can also friends. log into another itunes account and leave a second review <laughs> Be, if you like the podcast that much like that yeah, much, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that's super helpful because it helps us show up as a recommended podcast on other podcasts. So, yeah, if you could do that, tell your friends and uh, yeah, just let us know on Twitter if you have any questions or comments about the episode or anything. And I, I think that's it. I think we covered everything. Yeah, I think we covered everything. See you guys next week. See you guys next week. Cheers.